Haribol, I can't hear you, but nice to see you. That's because I was muted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right, Let me start the, the YouTube feed. Oh yeah, I need to maximize my big face. Okay. Well, amazingly today everything went so smooth. I'm always I'm almost worried. But here we are, uh, right on time and recording and everything. Welcome everybody who's um, come to has who's come to listen about the pigeon. Today we're making our darndest effort to see how a pigeon can be our guru. Um, ironically, the previous verse, by the way, I'm all prayered up, so I'm all ready to start. Let's see what comes out. Um, ironically, the, the previous verses that were about much more, you know, cosmic things like constitutional elements of the world, the wind or the air, the sun, fire, were all explained away in one or two verses. Um, and this one, the Srimad Bhagavatam dedicates 21 verses uh, to this pigeon. But it's understandable because, you know, the sun is the sun. Everybody knows it. Everybody has pretty much the same conclusions or insights about the sun. Um, you know, it is bright, it is up in the sky, it has a, an aura of divinity to it because of what it does to our lives and on the planet. But the pigeon, you know, clearly a whole story had to be narrated to make a point, a very simple point and a very uh, typical of the, of the Bhagavatam, of this hardcore, sadhu, staunch ah, attachment type of teaching. But let me, let, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And uh, by, by the nature of this, uh, of today's guru, by, by, what am I trying to say? That because today's guru is a, a random common pigeon, we're going to have to read the, the whole story. Usually I assume that if people log in, they, they're either familiar with this passage of the Bhagavatam or they can always go get the verse themselves and find out what the commentary and the purport uh, says not to bypass the Bhagavatam or the scriptures in any way, which is going to be one of my points. If I can, if I can go in order, because, you know, sometimes it, a stream of thought goes wherever it wants or whatever, wherever he wants, hopefully. Um, but it's um, so I, I didn't mean to bypass the meanings of the verses per se, as they're explained in the Bhagavatam, when I was talking about the sun and the wind and drawing examples from all source, sources of wisdom, tarot, astrology, quantum physics. Um, but I assumed that, you know, that the purport is already there. Anybody can go read it. But this is a 21 verse little thing. So let me just go ahead and read it. So I know that we all have 
the same background and we all know what is being talked about. So bear with me for, I don't know, five minutes. So this uh, Abaduta says uh, to, um, gee, I forget his name, Yadav Maharaj, Yadu Maharaj, yeah, Yadu Maharaj. There once was a pigeon who lived in the forest along with his wife. He had built a nest with a tree, within a tree, and lived there for several years in, his, in her company. <clears throat> the two pigeons were very much devoted to their household duties. Their hearts being tied together by sentimental affection, they were each attracted by the other's glances, bodily features, and states of mind. Thus, they completely bound each other in affection. Naively trusting in the future, they carried out their acts of resting, sitting, walking, standing, conversing, playing, eating, and so forth, as a loving couple among the trees of the forest. Whenever, the, uh, whenever she desired anything, O king, the she-pigeon would flatteringly cajole her husband, and he in turn would gratify her by faithfully doing whatever she wanted. Even with, the great even with great personal difficulty. Thus, he could not control his senses in her association. Then the female pigeon experienced her first pregnancy. When the time arrived, the chaste lady delivered a number of eggs within the nest in the presence of her husband. When the time was ripe, baby pig pigeons with tender limbs and feathers created by the inconceivable potencies of the Lord were born from those eggs. The two pigeons became most affectionate to their children and took great pleasure in listening to their awkward chirping, which sounded very sweet to their parents. Thus, with love, they began to raise the little birds who were born of them. The, parents, the parent birds became very joyful by observing the soft wings of their children, their chirping, their lovely innocent movements around the nest and their attempts to jump up and fly. Seeing their children happy, the parents were also happy. Their hearts bound to each other by affection, the foolish birds, completely bewildered by the illusory, illusory energy of Lord Vishnu, continued to take care of the young offspring who had been born, born to them. One day, the two heads of the family went out to find food for the children. Being very anxious to feed their offspring properly, they wandered all over the forest for a long time. At that time, a certain hunter who happened to be wandering through the forest saw the young pigeons moving about near their nest. Spreading out his nest, his net, he captured them all. The pigeon and his wife were always anxious for the maintenance of their children, and they were wandering in the forest for that purpose. Having obtained proper food, they now returned to their nest. When the lady pigeon caught sight of her own children trapped within the hunter's nest, net, she was overwhelmed with anguish and crying out, she rushed towards them as they cried out to her in return. The lady pigeon had always allowed herself to be bound by the ropes of intense material affection and thus her mind was overwhelmed by anguish. Being in the grip of the illusory energy of the Lord, she completely forgot herself, and rushing forward to her helpless children, she was immediately bound in the hunter's net. Seeing his own children, who were more dear to him than life itself, 
fatally bound in the hunter's net, along with his dear most wife, whom he considered equal in every way to himself, the poor male pigeon began to lament wretchedly. The male pigeon said, Alas, just see how I'm now destroyed. I'm, ob I'm obviously a great fool, for I did not properly execute pious activities. I could not satisfy myself, nor could I fulfill the purpose of life. My dear family, which was the basis of my religiosity, economic development, and Sanskritification, is now hopefully, hopelessly ruined. My wife and I were an ideal match. She always faithfully obeyed me and, in fact, accepted me as her worshipable deity. By now, seeing her children lost and her home empty, she has left me behind and gone to heaven with our saintly children. What? Now I'm a wretched person living in an empty home. My wife is dead. My children are dead. Why should I possibly want to live? My heart is so pained by separation from my family that life itself has become simply suffering. As the father pigeon wretchedly stared at his poor children trapped in the net on the verge of death, pathetically struggling to free themselves, his mind went blank, and thus he himself fell, fell into the hunter's net. The cruel hunter, having fulfilled his desire by capturing the head pigeon, his wife, and all of their children, set off for his own home. In this way, one who is attached to family life becomes disturbed at heart. Like the pigeon, he tries to find pleasure in mundane sex attraction, busily engaged in maintaining his own family. The miserly person is fated to suffer greatly, among with all his family members. The doors of liberation are open wide to one who has achieved human life. But if a human being simply devotes himself to family life, like the foolish bird in his story, then he is to be considered as one who climbed to a high place only to trip and fall down. So, wow. Um, the first things to notice are um, patriarchy. <laughs> no, um, I guess I'll get to that. Just the whole tone and, and, and I find it particularly off-putting, but um, the second, before I go on with this, the second point is the translation. So be very, very careful before dismissing the scripture, before thinking less of the scripture, and uh, even worse, thinking higher of yourself, like you understand more. Be very, very careful. Always leave an ample margin of doubt that maybe it's you who's not getting it. Maybe it's you who's not seeing, hearing, and who doesn't have a clear perception of what's going on or what's being narrated. So that was the first, uh, the first teaching uh, personally to me, because I read the story, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh my God, uh, how can I make a class on this? It's like the typical, ah, attachment is bad, love is bad, sex is bad and just be a sadhu, be the driest possible, which is not the message, but it may, can, it may come across like that. And, um, you know, there are some spiritualists, let's, let's, let's say some devotees, I don't want to make, you know, a big generalization, who would read this and they're like, yeah, right on, that's the message. Uh, love is bad, attraction is bad, couple life is bad. And some who are not uh, familiar who would read this and be like what is this 
So let's make let's try to make order and, and see what's uh, what's what's happening in these 21 verses. Like I was saying, the translation is a biggie because Sanskrit has the capacity of uh, explaining much like English. English is probably another language that that uh, lends itself to to this sort of uh, expression. You put words together and you make a, a novel concept or a, an enriched concept like uh, Oh, I don't know. Um, well, you know, in English, you can make a verb out of any uh, now. Like some once, I remember the first time I heard we had to MacGyver uh, something. It's like what? Because <laughs> uh, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with uh, TV fiction from the '80s, MacGyver was a guy who could just look around himself and just create bombs or solutions or ways out of a situation with what he had around. So in English, you can say to MacGyver, and in Sanskrit, poetry, first of all, keep in mind it's poetry. So you can, uh, uh, you have license to put together concepts and words in ways that you wouldn't in normal uh, conversation, in, in normal spoken or verbal communication. And, uh, and it's Sanskrit poetry. So I can't tell you all the times in English you you read or hear these translations of when will the the bumblebee of my mind get into the lotus of this and and what you, you have two ideas conveyed at the same time the mind and the bumblebee and you know in Sanskrit you just say bumblebee mind or I can't remember any verse that would express that but I'm sure you've you've uh, you've read a lot of uh, verses that. You know, you may not even know it's poetic. And it's like the lotus this, the lotus that, um, or the radish, because <laughs> I remember once I was talking about a song. I was asking Chitta Hari, um, oh, it's a Nitai Pada Kamala. I said, I like this line. It says, grab a hold of uh, Nitai's, and, because English is not my first language. I couldn't quite distinguish both in hearing and in pronouncing the difference between reddish and radish. So I said, Nitai's rad grab a hold of Nitai's radish feet. It was like, what? <laughs> Nitai's radish feet. But hey, radish is very good for you. Um, but um, so translation is a big one. So when you render it in English, it's like, Alas, this and that, and all these words that have to put be put in English that make it so verbose. Uh, keep in mind there are no exclamation marks in, in Sanskrit. And uh, unless you're really tuned into the, the psychology of the, of, the, of, the, of the Bhagavatam and the style of the Vedas, the cultural setting, it can come across as like just very hefty text that you like what is all this it sounds childish it sounds you know just a, a bit ridiculous a bit you know my saintly children what are you talking about? it's a pigeon so let, let's let's uh, skim all that well clearly it's uh, you know the last verse is really what's what's the crux of what's talked about here the attachment and how bewildering it is and, and we could see as i was reading uh, this, um, you know, uh, sequence of verses for the third time, I realized, oh, yeah, so it, it is really um, uh, uh, um, 
a constant reiteration of how the, the pigeon is being bewildered. And clearly the pigeon is a metaphor. So it's talking about the average person and how they get bewildered. Now, do they get bewildered to the point of thinking that my wife is saintly? Uh, no, it's, it's the most, you know, the most exacerbated expression of the mentality to drive the point home um, faster, better, like, you know, the description of a fetus in the womb, oh my God, it's being chewed up by worms and the, and the mother is eating spicy food and the poor fetus is like, really? It's like, it just means the fetus is constricted in there and it's suffering and, and that kind of suffering brings him or her to, to pray to the Lord and then and the whole you know, narrative of the Bhagavatam in the fourth canto, I believe, goes on. So you kind of need to understand how these scriptures how they exaggerate somehow, what they're really trying to, to, to say. And there's a lot of irony in these verses. So, like I was saying, it's clearly a metaphor for the human condition. And why the pigeon? Well, aptly so, because just like the sun is in everybody's face, just like the fire, it's very rare to find a human being who hasn't had experience of the earth, of fire, of air, of wind, of sun and moon. And what else we talked about? I guess the ether is a bit elusive. But the pigeon, uh, I did a little research on pigeons that I, uh, that I might attach after the whole Vedic dissertation. And pigeons exist on all continents apart from Antarctica. So everybody has experience of pigeons. And most humans live in cities and most cities have pigeons. I remember, you know, in Milan, if you go to the cathedral, to the dome of Milan, now um, I think they're still there, but it's illegal to sell corn. But when I was a kid, there were, you know, old men who were making a living selling little bags of corn that the children would just throw around and all the pigeons would come and just lift dust and then feathers and poop everywhere. The monuments were covered in in uh, in uh, pigeon guana which is very good it's, it's a very good fertilizer and um so I, anyway they made it illegal but every city the, the city the, the pigeons in venice are famous in milan in rome and i'm sure every other city in the world um so everybody knows about pigeons S second reason pigeons are monogamous and so they now in vedic society it wasn't uh a thing to be monogamous all the time. If anything, it stings out. It, it stings. It sticks out to us for being uh, polygamous. All these kings and, but keep in mind that only higher castes, really kings and aristocracy, could afford more than one wife, by, by dint of their own wealth, and maybe passion, because you know kshatriyas are rajas. So one wife was not enough, and then sometimes they were given wives in charity, and they couldn't refuse the charity and a whole system that we're totally foreign to. If you're interested in the physical calities, physicalities of this whole thing, I once heard, I think it was Bill Mollison, the creator or yeah, the divisor of, um, of uh, permaculture who said that the alkaline soil in this area where, you know, the Muslims and the Hindus are makes it such in such a way that that um, more women are born 
the many. In, in general, there are, you know, I think we are three quarters, the human population is 30 quarters, three quarters of uh, female to one quarter male. So it's inevitable in certain cultures and society to have more than one wife or you will have a lot of unwed women. And up until a few weeks, uh, years ago, an unwed woman was like, how am I going to maintain myself? Boo-hoo. Now things are different in modern society with different means and different, well, culture really. It's a different approach because there were societies that were entire, entirely matriarchal, but let's not go there this time. Um, so yeah, polygamy. But when you think of uh, the idyllic, the, the perfect love story, it's really between only one man and one woman. Let's say two persons. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, the, the, the heterosexual couple obviously uh, naturally can give, uh, can bring about offspring. So it's the whole package. When we come to attachment that you have your wife and your children, and that's like the highest example. Keep in mind that the Bhagavatam is just uh, all these kings that just at the end of their lives, they become sadhus and they wander off into the forest. It's the best of the best. It's those who could give the example. I'm sure there were sadhus who weren't particularly accomplished like Durvasa Muni. And they're all like partial uh, expansions of Shiva and this and that. I'm sure there are, you know, rank and file brahmacharis and monks and sannyasis and sadhus maybe didn't make it and weren't as perfect as the sadhus in the Bhagavatam, as the kings in the Bhagavatam. But why should we take the example of them? <laughs> We're already messed up as we are. So keep in mind that the Bhagavatam, the scriptures give us the highest possible goal and example. But that's why you need Shastra, Sadhu and Guru, because then you would have well, even the Shastra alone, you, you look elsewhere in the Bhagavad Gita and Krishna himself says, if you can do this, do this, if you can do that, do this one, if you can do this, do this. And that's a very wise and very healthy approach. Um, so I'm kind of leading the way to this whole point of like uh, sexual attraction, love, couple life is, is, is like the, the cause of all evil. It may be daunting, it may be discouraging and off-putting to a lot of people. So I see if I can work my way there. So pigeons are monogamous and, um, and for life. A, pige, a, a pigeon, pigeon couple makes, uh, you know, lays eggs every year, but uh, they're, once they choose a partner, it's that. And uh, so there's more of a parallel if the story was about storks, it's like, well, I guess, whatever the storks do. But pigeons, everybody everybody has seen the male pigeon, you know, courting the female, going all around, making such a scene. And uh, even in English, you say the, the two pigeons, when two, when two lovers are like, you know, looking each other in the eyes and, and whispering sweet nothings into each other's ears. So again, it's one more expression of something very common, taken as an example, to shout, Guru is all around you. The Guru and your relationship with your Guru, what you should do with Guru, what Guru is, is as evident as the sun in the sky. And yet we don't see it. So 24 Gurus have been mentioned as examples and usual um, uh, 
thing I say is that it could be infinite gurus. This is, these are just examples. Sooner or later, we'll get it. So, um, and the third reason is that the pigeon or any bird, we've, we, we've um, clarified why the pigeon of all birds, but any bird is a two-legged animal, which is pretty much what the last verse is uh, hinting at. If you're a human being with, um, you've heard me many times saying that the human experience is just the link and ring between animality and divinity. Not that there is anything special with humans, we're all souls anyway, but the human, like I said, experience, how consciousness experiences, well, ultimately itself, but the world through the, ment through the human filter is right between animality and divinity. So, so you can see that in humans you have both uh, pulsions, both pulls, and we're called to be our higher self at every moment because we have this sense, the conscience, you know. Now, what makes it spiritual, what makes it divine is compassion divine is, because, uh, you know, you see, especially now with social media, you cannot ignore it anymore. People used to think that animals are just driven by instinct and they're just driven by food, which I'll touch upon. But you've seen so many videos of a dog saving a drowning bird. Why? There's no food in there. It's just a dog adopting a duckling. And so you're like, hmm, maybe there's some divine in there too. There is, you know, we know that. But for the most part, animals are really just driven. You know, their compassion only goes so far. Their faculty of reasoning about their own divinity, that, for what we know, is not there in, in animals at all. So that's what's meant. The animals, uh, humans are right between the animality and divinity, and we can choose at, uh, at uh, any time. And of course, divinity means, you know, towards consciousness, and animality means identification with the body. So nature, animals are products of nature, as if we weren't. Um, I'm just in the middle of doing all kinds of diets and regimes to fix my hormone situation and thyroid, liver, etc. And a lot of people say, why do all these supplements? Why do all these diets? The liver is naturally filtering your body. You already have a natural filter. Yeah, but what's natural about our lives? And I'm not even going, you know, to touch on 5G and cell phones. Just what is natural? Do we walk barefoot like a, like a cat or a dog or a or an iguana? Do we touch the ground? Do we soak in the sun? We need 20 minutes of sun exposure to develop the underskin cholesterol that turns into vitamin D, which is so essential for uh, health. Do we, you know, we have so many thoughts that say, oh, I don't know, an Aborigine wouldn't have work, traumas. The spoken word has messed us up. As humans, we have this thing of the spoken word. So a bad a word said badly in our childhood just ah, gives makes us convinced that oh i'm not worthy and our whole life is just marked by our whole future is just marked by the past and we get so much is happening at, at the human level um so we're just not apes we're not sasquatches or aborigines and and the food whatever <laughs> so the the natural uh, 
the natural way. Why did I talk about the natural way? See, now I'm lost. Hmm. Anyway, back to the pigeon. Oh yeah, animality. So animality means be part of nature. Yes, we're part of nature, but we're not meant to just eat, sleep, mate, and defend. Because of this divine nature that we can perceive, it's our conscious, conscience, and uh, we do have thoughts of why do I exist? What am I supposed to do? Where was I before? So they are a louder voice that we may not be able to answer, that we may suppress at some point because, you know, the animal, you know, food, sex is <laughs> probably louder, but it keeps rotating, eating, sleeping, mating and defending. And the other one is probably not as loud, but it's deeper in. What am I? Who am I? Why do I exist? So it's a constant struggle. And so, yeah, uh, that's pretty much the three re re reasons. The pigeons are monogamous and they are a better, a good example of like couple life. We know them. We all know about pigeons. They, um, is it the two? I forget what I said. Anyway, two-legged, common, and, and their romantic way, and the fact that they're monogamous. Okay, now that we have eviscerated everything about why the pigeon, let's talk about the core issue. So let me go back to the story. And uh, so I was saying, you can see how it's all exaggerated, exacerbated, like, um, you know, you got to see the irony. It's not that the pigeon is really thinking, oh, it's uh, like every story. And if you've made it to the 11th canto, you know that all these stories are allegorical, allegoric in nature and metaphors, etc. So let me skim through the words and let's see if I can find the ones that struck me. You know, devoted to their household duties. Like what? Sweep the nest? Um, so you should see a human couple and uh, how attached people may become to one another. All these things, like I was saying, the patriarchy. Like really, it's really just a male pigeon who gets, uh, you know, distracted. Like if it wasn't for the female pigeon, he would be a total sadhu and a total, what? Seed gatherer. What does a pigeon have to do? So I would say, let's, let's forget about the pigeon and let's talk about the, the human couple. It is annoying that, uh, you know, oh, the wife casuals, the husband. Yeah, right. As if, you know, men don't have a way of uh, whatever. I guess it is a patriarchal, patriarchal society. Like my guru says, it is what it is. Uh, let's, let's be higher people ourselves. Let's see the spiritual teaching and understand that what's been said about one is is true of the other and the, and the Bhagavatam doesn't have to say and and uh, you know just give two examples if one is enough in a couple it did say later to 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 be you know on to be honest it did say later that we were considered equal they considered each other as equal so let's uh bring that to our advantage you don't have to say every time, 
the the man is a distraction the woman is a distraction to the man and the man is a distraction to the woman it's all it's all equally bad or or good but yeah so the household duties and uh, tied together and there is a lot of uh, criticism if you see now this is all past Prabhupada uh, it, this was translated by a disciple of Prabhupada who he didn't even appoint somehow he just snatched the service for himself but let's not go there the Sanskrit I, I, I checked the Sanskrit and, and you know there's only one or two words it's mostly in the purports that we're not reading they're like eh, driving points home they're not there but nothing serious and even Prabhupada would, would have this way of like sticking in things that weren't there but again you need to be generous, generous, especially to sadhus, especially to the scriptures, because otherwise you're doing nothing good to yourself. But you know, you also have to have discrimination. So, um, their hearts being tied together by sentimental affection, okay. Um, so, attracted by each other's glances, bodily features, and states of mind. I remember the first time I don't know, it was probably 2017, 18, I was still in the other cabin. And somehow, it was probably the soundtrack of some Facebook video. I heard this song, which is like totally normal now. <laughs> There's so much worse now in today's songs. That said something, I mean, you all know the song. I'm in love with the shape of you. I'm in love with your body. I was like, ew, <laughs> why would this guy sing about that? Does, ew, I'm in love with your body? Uh, it was just an expression of lust, of intense desire. But given my, well, I don't know, my personality and my uh, cultural, spiritual background, I was like, why would you sing like that? That's, that's something that happens, but you wouldn't glorify in a song. Oh, let me tell you, that song went, was like, you know, and it still, still is very, very like welcome. Like, yeah, I'm in love with the shape of you. Because that's, that's the, 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 the level of the frequency of which most uh, people, and by people, I mean souls, but engrossed souls. And I don't exclude myself, but most people really just re really are driven by mating eating sleeping mating and defending so they're just pigeons they're just they cannot even fly they poop like pigeons so um uh what was i talking about uh, so yeah physical attraction most people are together and uh, enam enamored by what they can see on the outside clearly if you don't have a spiritual awakening an inkling of a spiritual mentality what do you perceive of the other person how they treat you how they are in relation to you it's really you know how they say in psychology that every character of your dream is really just uh, an expression of your subconscious you know sometimes when you're chased once i i dreamed that i was coming back from the such ancient field and there was a black panther and a black bear chasing after me and they say you got to embrace them yeah right if i know i'm dreaming you get in uh, you got to chase the monsters the the animals because there are element uh, expressions of your subconscious that scare you but if you stop and turn around and tell them what you know get them to speak to you then uh, you'll resolve things about your subconscious that works better in uh, lucid dreams, which I haven't been, ab been able to master. It's really, really hard, but I I'll try it again some other time in my life. 
Um, but that's a fact. Whoever you see in your dreams is just a facet of your own subconscious. So we think we're all separate beings here. We're all just um, characters of Mahavishnu's uh, dream. We're all expressions of Mahavishnu. We're all expressions of consciousness. But because of this saran wrap that we're all you know, wrapped in, called material and physical body, all we perceive is, uh, is the saran wrap. And again, how they behave to us. Like um, in, in, a, in a sad moment of our sangha, some disciples, some, well, disciple of Gumar just started writing very bad things about him. And we were like shocked. I remember crying for three days. And Gurmaj was like, hey, people only show me their best face and I, I can only know them based on how they relate to me. People always, you know, <laughs> Gurmaj proposes things and they're like, yeah, Jai Gurmaj. And then they go home. They're like, I don't know how I feel about that. Meanwhile, Gurmaj says, oh, they said Jai. So we're all going to go ahead with that project. And then nothing happens because I don't know if it's some kind of service attitude. They think they're being of service and it just goes nowhere. But even without considering a guru disciple in that relationship, because, um, you know, clearly there's an esoteric level. It's not that the guru only perceives what the disciple, uh, a disciple based on this, on the words and the behavior, but there is that level too. So anyway, it, it's true of any relationship and, um, and it doesn't go very far to be enamored by somebody, somebody's eyes and the sweet words they say to us and their bodies, etc. So let's see what more this uh, story says. Uh, trusting in the naively trust, trusting in the future. You can see how the Bhagavatam is like constantly jabbing this uh, this couple life. That, by the way, is a couple life that's not within a. Um, a self which is not within i what am i trying to say um a lifestyle that has self-realization as the goal because then everything changes these are just pigeons being <laughs> behaving like animals <laughs> just uh eating meat sleeping mating and defending but keep in mind it's an it's a meta metaphor and an analogy to really talk about people and that's where the problem arises. There's no karma if pigeons behave like pigeons. It's why they got that body in the first place. So anyway, trusting in the future, they carried out. I don't think pigeons have any sense of the future. It's just about where's the food now and is there any danger? But I don't know. It's been a long time since I was a pigeon. Um, whenever she desired, there's, there's the verse, whenever she desired anything, the sheep pigeon would flatteringly, etc. Anyway, I've been bitter enough about this. Um, with great personal difficulty. He could not control his senses as if a pigeon, but a man, but a person is called to control his or her senses because of what I said. There's the, there's the divine nature. And it took me a long time, despite having been exposed to, to these words, to these classes, to these texts, for, gee, I don't know, 31 years, 
it took me a long time to, um, uh, how would you say? <laughs> Sorry, I saw a, a, um, a question on YouTube. Yeah, I'll get to that. Dorothy Gray says, I don't know anyone who's ever seen a baby pigeon. Can you elaborate on why they are so rarely seen? Yeah, it's one of the things I was going to say at the end. Wow, it's only 20 minutes. Okay, I'll, I'll try to speed it up. Um, what was I talking about? It took me a long time to not see everything divine, everything spiritual as this goal that's so far away, so lofty and so separate from everything I'm doing. While in reality, Prabhupada says, Bhakti is like the nose on your face. It's, it's right there. It's what we're doing constantly, continuously, just ill-reposed. It's a gradation. Or as Prabhupada says, um, all these material qualities, uh, things we're pursuing, everything we're doing in life is just a bunch of zeros. You have six zeros, seven zeros. But the moment you put one in front of the zeros, which is Krishna, all of a sudden you have one million, ten million, one billion. Because Krishna or consciousness is what gives meaning. And matter without consciousness is just zeros. One zero, eleven thousand zeros are as valueless, as insignificant as one zero. It's all zero. So in consciousness and its purest uh, expression uh, is Krishna, is condensed in the form of Krishna to speak simply. Um, so, where was I going with this? Um, oh boy. Animality. If anybody remembers of my three viewers, what was I talking about? Okay, so pigeons. Anyway, I was right, whatever I was, I was saying. Oh, yeah, so uh, divinity being so far away when in actuality, it's much of the same. Like you'd be amazed the similarity if you if you analyze the psychology of all the characters in Braj, the fr you know you have them all. You have the parent, you have the son, you have the the best friend, you have the lover, and then you even have the enemy, and you have a pretty good uh, picture of the human experience. And by no fault of well anybody, I guess it's a, it's a cultural dichotomy. Maybe it's me. Maybe nobody else has this problem. It's perceived and preached and taught in such a way that that's the highest of the highest. It's like, ah, and, and it's like, but, but I'm here. It is said, it is explained many ways that it's just like here. We all also have girlfriends and boyfriends and friends, but it's all corrupted. And it's a gradation. It's a, it's a sublimation. Just keep changing, keep changing, keep changing what? Your level of consciousness, your perception. And that's why they say you don't have to go anywhere. Brindavan is right here. As, as soon as you have, you look at the world with God's eyes, then it's all here. It's, um, well, I won't go into quantum physics again because time is <laughs> flying by. 
But it is being said, everything is being explained, but somehow I have this feeling that most people think that everything bhakti, everything transcendental, everything divine and religious even is just out there. Yes, yeah, something I need to practice because it's good for me, but we don't really see the advantage and the value in my life now because, again, the pools of eating, sleeping, mating and defending are right there. If I eat, I feel the gratification and, and etc. with everything else. So... Um, let's see the female pigeon so anyway then they have children uh, you know squabs that's the name for baby pigeons squabs um, so they got attached and you can see the illusion like you know the pigeons cry are awkward says the Bhagavatam but to them they were like oh my god and even with humans you can see that a human baby is ugly, and I say with no shame, people are so enamored, like, you know, they put pictures of their babies everywhere, of their pregnancies, and then they want to show it to everybody, nobody wants to see them, because it's not their babies, and because they're ugly, they have this huge head, and they're like, they cannot even touch their opposite ear with, with the other arm, they're like, weird, and, and they're like wrinkly and red and covered in their own saliva, Ugh. anyway. <laughs> but you can see how deluded <laughs> humans are. Oh, my baby. Oh, you had a baby. There's this whole thing that I don't have. I'm not saying a Paramahansa. I'm a Paramahansa, but I don't have that about babies. But most people do about their own babies. And whoever, and most people project it because they think of their own babies when they had babies or the babies they want to have. And so you can see all these words that keep expressing a, you know, utter uh, delusion about the chirping of the squabs, about, let's see, what else does it say here? Um, again, one more jab by the Bhagavatam. The, the foolish birds, completely, completely bewildered by the illusory energy of, the, of Lord Vishnu. Um, it says later on, you know, when the male pigeon starts lamenting, it's like, what are you talking about? My wife is so saintly. Where is, okay, here's a, a good point. Um, I'm obviously a great fool. And then you would expect, not because I didn't use my energies to focus on what matters, on my divine uh, nature, on the fact that I'm conscious, that all, on what consciousness is, on the reality, on let's say the spiritual worlds where consciousness interacts with pure consciousness and nothing degrades, there's no danger, etc., etc. No, he says, for I did not properly execute pious activities. I cannot satisfy myself, nor could I fulfill the purpose of life, whatever he thinks the purpose of life is at this point. My dear family, which was the basis of my religiosity, there you go, it all goes down the drain again. What, what were you thinking? And that's how most people think. You know, they think that whatever they are, um, and again, language enters into the picture. Um, I can't tell you how many times I was talking to people. I'm not much of a preacher. I'm more like a spider. Whoever comes in my, in my net, I tell them about uh, Krishna, but um, I'm not much of a preacher. But I remember talking to people uh, about spiritual stuff. And what they thought was spiritual was like, what? 
because of probably how English works and because of the lack of spiritual education nowadays, spiritual culture, they think that everything that doesn't have to do with money and sex, which is what they think is material, is spiritual. So my love for my children and whatever, charity, do good for... No, that's just, you know, compassion and it's, it belongs to the realm of morality, good and bad. But um, so, you know, what's spiritual, what's divine, what's religious is up for debate in many, in many cultural settings. So here we say, we see in this example of the pigeon who represents the most deluded man, person, that uh, he thought his family was the basis, where is it? of my religiosity, economic development, and sense gratification. And now it's all ruined. So, um, blah, blah, blah. But now seeing her children lost and her home empty, she has left me behind and gone to heaven with our saintly children. No, where's the other one? Um, why should I possibly want to live? Okay, so here's a point that kind of uh, jumped to my eyes last time, how uh, you can see that, again, in permaculture, they say that every element of whatever uh, permaculture can be applied to society, even to your balcony, to your, to your house, to whatever, every element should fulfill more than one person, because if that element fails, then uh, something else is going to, you know, you need to have a living fence and then a physical fence and then every element, every function should be fulfilled by more than one element. So the fence keeps the cows in and but it also feeds the birds with the berries because it's a living fence and whatever and it and it uh, gives a home to something that will pick the, the, the parasites from the cows. So this kind of mentality and you can see that if somebody puts all their eggs in the material basket once matter falls through, which it will, by its own nature, by, by its own temporary nature, then you really feel like you have nothing. I remember when my mother was about to die, uh, I, I forgot what I was telling her. I was trying to instill some spiritual sense in her. And she said, but I won't be there anymore. I was like, oh my God, right. She, she really thinks that she is this one person with green eyes and black hair and and the body essentially and come the end of the body she, she will just cease to exist which is so frightening and you can see why everybody's afraid of death like i cannot ex i will not exist anymore especially considering that we are consciousness whether we think or believe it or not we are eternal and that's why we abhor death like that it's like how can it be that i won't exist it won't be it's an illusion but anyway so um two other examples come to mind a god brother of mine once went home and um, he opened the fridge and it was like full of meat and stuff and he closed it right away and the father said why didn't you take anything he was like oh there was nothing to eat and the fridge was like stuffed with stuff that uh, Gaudiya Vaishnav wouldn't consider even food so for all intents and purposes in the fridge there was nothing to eat and conversely another disciple uh, god brother and uh, maybe the same one once made a rich sandwich with, you know, some whatever, multigrain bread and mustard and I'm making it up, hummus and tomatoes and avocado and, uh, and cheese. And the father said, aren't you going to put anything in it? 
because he wasn't putting cold cuts or meat of any sort. So it goes to show, like the Gita says, what's night for us is day for them. What's day for them is night for us. Or what's night for them is day for us. And uh, so, or when Juan, many times we could not make Juan understand that we're trying to do things organically here. So he kept saying, you guys don't want to fertilize the, the field. No, we don't want to spray it with chemical fertilizer. He kept saying, but yeah, but because you guys don't want to do anything, then, I mean, sometimes, given there were always three people here and so understaffed and whatever, the long story of Madhuvan, we could not do anything else. We, we just chose not to use chem chemical fertilizers and pesticides. But many times we did so many other things that to him did not register at all. So you can see the pigeon is like, my life, my wife and children were the basis of my religiosity of my life and now taking them away nothing is remained and that's precisely what the bhagavatam is warning us against because you do have a uh, course you got to be educated you got to be uh, instructed about the spiritual side of everything it'll be many lifetimes before you can actually have a, a clear glimpse into whatever spiritual whatever is consciousness um, and that's why, like, I, that's the point I make of anything, the sun, the fire, it's not like you see the sun and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I should learn from the sun. It's my guru, you know, oh, yeah, the pigeon is my guru. It's even more remote. Because, by the way, the pigeon is the first guru who teaches us by negative impetus, negative example. The sun is like, be like me. I can even purify urine. I don't get contaminated. The wind is like, be like me. I don't get attached. I can carry aromas and I'm, uh, I'm not in, in, uh, affected. Water is like, be like me, be humble, be adaptable, etc. The pigeon says, doesn't, does not say, be like me. It's more like the Bhagavatam say, saying, don't be like a pigeon. Take an example. He's your guru, but in the negative. And... Um, so anyway, I, I guess I made my point about um, now. I would like you, whoever is listening, I don't see everybody, whoever will listen to this uh, um, talk in the future to think about your own couple life, your own sentimental life and your own material attachments, because mm, let's say romantic the romantic expression of love is the most intense one because with your partner you can have friendship which you can have a, you know you can feel like accomplices you can uh, uh, share a meal together you can share your heart all the way to having sex and have a, a more uh, clearly you cannot have sex with any other one with your friends with your parents with your, with your teacher not advised so in that sense it's used as an example but any material relationship this is the whole the point any material attachment so think of your material attachments and now listen to this it's bad and you know it, you can see how it's off-putting but think of the bhagavad-gita saying if you cannot do this do that if you cannot do this do that one thing one pet peeve i have with the way bhakti is being preached I don't know if, if it's over the centuries or the way bhakti is being perceived because we have changed a lot as modern Western society is that we're, taught, we're told about the Paramahansa uh, path 
because it's the highest reach is the best possible example so why would be why would be why would we be told like if i can teach you how to become a millionaire why would i spend time to teaching you how to be a thousandaire but you know on the path of paramahansas you may have paramahansas and you may have people who are still limping but they're on the path and 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 the goal is the same so the common goal is what should be kept in mind am i a paramahansa no do i want to become a paramahansa what what does it mean you know whatever sounds so staunch so dry so like have no attachments it's good news it's a it's a happy message from the bhagavatam it's a it's a message of love and a message of truth which just don't have ears ears and eyes to perceive yet and that's why like the pigeon or like the 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 Vaishnav who could see nothing to eat in the fridge we think oh my god I'm called to not have attachments to my husband to my friends to my cousin to my friend whatever I said my teacher and just what am I left with well <laughs> everything we're talking about the realm of the absolute the infinite there is infinite love to be found there is an absolute expression of love to be found and experienced there's an infinite amount of love if love is what we're looking for or sex we know that there is sex in the spiritual world we're talking about intensities of love it's not about the sex or anything else you know sharing food or anything of the sort um but you know that's when you need a sadhu that when you need need a living sadhu to translate everything in modern terms and from his own heart you know a sannyasi they say that he lives his family oh my god he left his family how could he leave his children but he makes the whole world his family and it will always come across as dry as like yeah i'm just not ready for it but keep in mind this gita verse that if you cannot do this do that because that's what we're called to do just be better okay we have the parameter we have the goal where are we there's no progress if we don't know where we are we don't know where we're asked to go given that we agree that that's the path to follow then how do we know how to move about and then we do our best that's all we're asked to do our best and doing our best doesn't mean beating ourselves over the head like oh i couldn't do this just yet just rejoice in your progress like i am doing all the right things am i maybe don't even think in terms of attachment like am i doing this in the most conscious krishna conscious way am i like you know i was just thinking in in, in the example of uh well my own example go to sundar and i well first of all we're god brothers and we're like resident um residents in an ashram so it's I'm not saying it's difficult to become deluded but we know that marriage life goes as far as it goes it's not the end of life it's just whatever just find a partner and, and, and live together uh, exchange and share pains and 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 and, uh, and 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 joys but ultimately this you know if it doesn't work if it's not perfect who cares there's so much the the focus of life the goal of life is something is, some, is something so much um lofty so much more rewarding you just need to tune in and change your consciousness by whatever practice and we're given <laughs> so many methods you know eating prasadam first and foremost chanting and, and just turning off your mind just have the mantra 
there's a lot to be said about passiveness. One day, when I'm done with this cycle of, <laughs> I've got, I don't know, 20 more gurus, however many more, I've got two years. But when I'm done with this, maybe I'll give a talk on like passiveness, how meditation, being passive is really the way forward, the way to act is by not being active, but it can be misunderstood. So anyway, I'm almost out of time. I wanted to say so many things I haven't said, but, uh, well, let me say a few things about pigeons, because before reading the story, I had read it months ago, uh, weeks ago. I was like, gee, what am I going to say about the pigeon other than the whole thing of like, oh, attachment is bad. And I was thinking, how, so I, I just went off the, the normal schemes and thought, how is the pigeon my guru? Pigeons are usually taken as not the smartest animals. The first thing people say about Pigeons is like, oh, the rats with wings because they have ticks, because they, they spread diseases. And um, I didn't think of that one. I thought a pigeon has one eye here and one eye here. <laughs> the, you know, the, the, that was typical bird way of like, huh? huh? And, but then I realized, well, okay, that's how they could be my guru because the guru sees this reality and that reality and they harmonize it. <laughs> Because Vrindavan is all about harmony, perfect harmony. You got to harmonize it because there's tattva and there is bhava. Is Krishna, is God omnipotent, omnipresent, omni, omniscient? Or is he the son of Yashoda who's afraid of her? Or is he trying to get the love of Radha? Or is he, you know, or is he the one who doesn't know what the cowherd boys are going to put in his mouth when, when, when another one is covering his eyes from the back? It's both. You have to harmonize it and more, much more. So the guru has to be a great harmonizer, like a pigeon. And pigeons have great discrimination. Pigeons can recognize, they, they made all kinds of experiments because some people are really fond of pigeons. They can, uh, one person was always feeding the pigeons in a park and another one was always sh uh, shooing them away. And the pigeons could distinguish them, who was friendly and who was dangerous, even when they swapped clothes. So a pigeon has discrimination. Pigeon has very sharp eye. People think of eagles, but a pigeon can recognize, they were trained to recognize patterns in biopsies, like they take a little tiny slice of living tissue and they put it on a slide. And from the patterns, with a 90% accuracy, more than human doctors and computers, I think, more than human doctors for sure, Pigeons could see and recognize cancer and press the yellow button or the red button and say, yep, yeah, cancer, cancer, no cancer. So they have a very sharp eye. And, 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 you know, if we take somebody to be our guru, it's because they can see better than us. They can see reality for what it is better than us. us. And pigeons can find the way home. You know, pigeons were used in the first world war. They, they were used for messages because they have a very good sense of orientation. And they can always find the way home. And again, you want to trust your guru to take you home. So let's see what else about pigeons. Now, yeah, baby pigeons. There's the thing that's like, well, I've never seen, but well, I have seen baby pigeons. How is that? People say, um, how is it that you never see baby pigeons? Well, that's because pigeons are very, um, you know, protective and they make sure their nests are very well hidden and they don't let the pigeons out until they are practically adults. Um, so one more aspect that we can uh, um, 
Well, first of all, because in nature, pigeons live on cliffs. So now the, the walls of buildings are the closest thing. Uh, like in Europe, uh, 5,000 years ago, there was a cliff, not necessarily on the sea, because otherwise there would be puffings or, or some kind of other animal. But, you know, sometimes you have mountains, cliffs in an in a earthly setting. And uh, so they adapted to the human settlements and, and the face of buildings. And then in every nook and cranny that they can find, they would nest and hide their babies from predators or any danger. So they're very protective. And, you know, you want your guru. That, that should also remind you of your guru, how with this clear sight and discrimination and, and protectiveness takes you all the way home because he knows where home is. So there you go. I managed to explain somehow, somehow how a pigeon can be remind you of Shri Guru. Now let me look at the questions because I saw there was some activity on, um, on uh, YouTube. Um, weird, some things got hidden, or maybe I can't scroll up. I should have read them as they appear. I'm going to start reading from where I can read. Mark Bat Batten says, I also read this some times ago. He must be re referring to the pigeon, to the babies. Dorothy Gray says, I don't know anyone who has ever seen. Oh, okay, okay. So I guess Mark was referring to something else I said even before, but I don't know what, because I had just said it. So baby pigeons, I said it. When I first met my wife, Mark says, I had prayed for many months for Krishna to let her appear before me. So when I first encountered her, I saw her directly as a daughter of Krishna and treated her as such. That's a high responsibility, but it's good. It's better than seeing her as the object of your exploitation. I also expected her to treat me as such. Now it is every time I look upon her, I thank Krishna for allowing her to appear to me. So every time I see her, I think of Krishna and his blessing upon my life. Yes, um, I don't think Krishna ever had any daughters historically, but uh, it's a very good at attitude and one that would have you behave precisely the opposite as what the example of the pigeon uh, is there for. So try to harmonize um, the material situation, just sublimate it, make it, put it in relation to the divine uh, expression, the divine equivalent uh, of it, instead of only living in the material, because the material arrangement, whether it's a family or a job or uh, any relationship, is just destined to disappear. Uh, just like that, just like a hunter can come. Obviously, the hunter symbolizes death. So if they don't die, you die. Then again, is it them? Is it you? It's just the body. But without this knowledge, realized knowledge, then you need the theoretical knowledge of like, Okay, they say I'm not the body, I understand it, and I have this goal, I understand it to be truth, to true and valuable. I do have attachments. How can I harmonize it? Like I said, like the pigeon, one eye here, one eye there. This is my material conditioning. This is what I'm supposed to be for good reason, not because it's bad to have attachments, it's bad to, you know, if you understand by the help and mercy of uh, sadhus who are like living the scriptures and they can speak your language, they're interactive, the scripture, keep in mind, it's always passive. 
they can help you harmonize the goal with your present predicament. Okay, so <clears throat> we're uh, past the time and uh, I'll probably close here. Thank you very much for your patience and uh, inspiration to get me to talk about pigeons and, and the like. Next time we'll be talking about a python. So we'll see what comes out of that uh, next time. My um, approach is always the same. I just pray and then pray that everything goes well. <laughs> like, I, you know, again, be passive. Um, so I'll see you sometime next month and uh, I'll close here. Shri Shri Guru Gauranga Ki Jai. Anchai Kalpataru Bhyascha Kripa Sindhu Bhyayi Vacha Patitanam Pavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namah.